0: Before I get to the message um, that's just the last couple the last two songs you did, I've got to read from Philippians chapter 2 before we open up the, the teaching today, Philippians chapter 2. We are going to be in the book of Acts today. Um, and I just have a couple thoughts to share but I just really want to read this scripture, which was one of the pillars, one of the foundational, Um, teachings in the early church that they passed down they memorized this what I'm about to read you and they passed it down before they actually had Paul's letters in hand before the Bible before they had anything to read they passed this down word of mouth by memory and this was one of those sections of scripture and if you heard those last two worship songs you'll know it says um, starting in verse God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. They knew this, and they passed it down before they even had Paul's letters. And that's part of the teaching today. We're going to look at the early church and how they shared the, share the gospel, how it grew so fast, this thing called the way, Christianity. But a couple of things before we get going. We, it was nice to see so many people show up for the outside service. I didn't, we didn't know what to expect this morning. This is the first time, I guess, uh, several years ago there were two services and then we went to one service. And now as we go back to two services, one outside, one inside, I was really surprised at all the people that showed up early. I'm going, wow, I think they just like to be outside. And then I thought, well, I wonder how much of this is about the mask debate and what's going on. And I really want to encourage you, no matter what you believe, no matter what side you're on, no matter what you think of governors (laughs) and politicians, um, respect one another. We can disagree, but please do so respectfully and love your neighbor. That means no guilt shaming, no virtue signaling You're not better because you're wearing a mask and you're not better or you don't have more faith because you're not wearing a mask. You know what I mean? Just we really need to love our neighbors. We need to be the church. And that's why I think that hit me. I got kind of emotional in my heart, you know, uh, during that song, the the lion and the lamb and then just the power in his name. And I'm thinking, God, we have to get back to the basics. Focusing again on who you are and what you are have done and what we are to do now as the church. So that's where we're going to go today in the message, Uh, defending the gospel, uh, the truth, and we're going to talk about early Christian teaching. So open up to Acts chapter 17, have a little introduction before we get there, but I'll open in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you for bringing us back here, uh, outside, inside, it doesn't matter where you can work, Lord, you are always working in the realm of the spirit, and we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you give us everything we need. We thank you for your people that come together to worship you because we love you, because we are called to fellowship, to koinonia, to the ecclesia, the gathering of the saints. We are called to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the freedoms we have in this country, even though we're being squeezed a little bit as far as the church and as far as Christians in the public square We know that you are in control. And as Steve said earlier, we're not underground. We have so much to be thankful for in this country and the freedoms that we have. May we not take those for granted. I know we all do. Forgive us for that. But Lord, help us to be the church that you want us to be, the people of God that change a culture, that change a nation like the early church did. Um, It's just amazing what, what they did. And we have so much more. We have the Bible And we have everything that we need, Lord. So thank you, God, for this time. Get me out of the way. Help people hear from you. And whatever scriptures they can apply to their lives, Lord, please give them the recollection and the strength and the grace to do so. Uh, We love you, Jesus. We live for you. And it's one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are lots of things that we can learn from the New Testament about the development of the early church, um, the spread of Christianity, the book of Acts, we read about the impact of the first missionaries at a time when, think about this, they didn't have the 24-7 news cycle, they didn't have the internet, um, they didn't have uh, cell phones. <laughs> they, they, uh, travel was very tedious, and they turned the world upside down, figuratively, if not literally, because of the gospel in about 30 years. Wow, how did they do that with having so much less? I mean, we we have this now. (laughs) They didn't even have this. They had what they knew, what they'd been told, of course. Many of them were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. Many of them, hundreds and hundreds, saw the risen Christ after they know he died. And they saw him, so many of them were still alive when this book was written, when when the New Testament, when many of the documents were were put on paper um, or parchment, Uh, Many of them were still alive at that time. So the first Christians, man, what they did. But what was their main message? How did they get the word out? What doctrines did they focus on? That's what we're going to talk about today. Did they try reasoning with people? Um, Did they debate? Um, How did they handle the subjects of of repentance, of one God, of eternal judgment? We're going to get to that. Very surprising how much of a focus that was in the early church. And you hardly hear... I don't know, I can maybe safely say in America you hardly hear a lot about eternal judgment, meaning hell. There is a Wow, there's a hell? Really? A lot of Christians would say, oh, I haven't heard that. Um, At the heart of their message, though, was the resurrection of Jesus, the truth of him being raised from the dead and that he is God. They believed his declarations of deity, his miracles that confirmed his teachings. And uh, note that the earliest Christians... They didn't proclaim religious duties, works. They didn't proclaim societal reformation, um, reforms, right? They proclaimed the risen Christ, the person of Jesus, who they knew these people were going to read about. They knew he was crucified. They knew he died. They knew he was put in a tomb. And they also knew he was very much alive. So imagine having that to go by with all the things we think we have, to carry the gospel to the nations or impact our communities for Christ. They, they had Jesus with them for about 40 days after um, his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven. Um, Erdman's Bible handbook, uh, Mark Green, I came across this as I was preparing for this message this week. He writes about the early church and the fact that the disciples had a, somewhat of a, a uniform method and pattern uh, as far as substance of what they preached, to change the world, and it's first based on the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, you get very familiar with that, that's what they had memorized, at least the first eight verses, or verses three to eight specifically, that's the gospel, they had that memorized, so that they passed down, and passed down, and it, it traveled miles, and they had that, what I read to start things off, Philippians chapter 2, they had that portion of scripture, right here, and in here, And they changed the world with those two and other truths. Um, So their gospel that they passed down went something like this. These These are the principles, generally, of what they taught. Ready? The ancient prophecies have been fulfilled, and the new age has been inaugurated by the coming of Christ. He was born of David's family, died according to the scriptures in order to deliver us from the present evil age. He was buried rose again the third day as scripture foretold and is now exalted at God's right hand as son of God and Lord of the living and the dead. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given that to his followers as an assurance of his lordship and a foretaste of his return to be judge and savior of men at the last day. That is what they passed on with 1 Corinthians 15, with Philippians chapter 2, and with other portions of Scripture. It always focused on that. Like I said, they didn't have the Word of God, they had the Old Testament. And we're going to get into that. That's exactly what they used to prove Jesus is and was the Messiah. So, how do we proclaim these truths today? We have a Bible that they didn't have. They had the truth that set them free. They knew the truth. The truth did set them free. But how do we defend the faith, particularly in today's environment where I've never seen so much hostility toward Christianity? And I use this word tolerance on purpose because the preachers of tolerance are often the most intolerant to the things of God, to the Bible, to Christianity, and as an extension of that to Christians. This is the culture we're living in today. Yes, we're in America. We still have the freedoms. But you can see this, and you can almost say it's hate of God, hate of Christians. It's almost because they abandoned the truth. Now they have to, uh, they have to attack reminders of that truth. And so that's us. So be ready for more. Be prayed up. Know the word of God. Always respond in love, respect, but don't back down because we are going to be faced with this in the days ahead these opportunities, but we're going to share about how the disciples, how Paul and others shared the gospel and defended the faith. Um, one verse before we get into Acts, we can come back to this several times during this teaching, but in our lives. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, many of you are familiar with it. But sanctify, mean, just means set apart, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Sanctify, set apart the Lord Jesus in your heart, your is to him alone, and t- determining to give him your obedience. Now, the Greek word in that verse translated defense gives us the, the word apologia, the English word apologetics, meaning a defense of the faith. Wow. Sounds like strong words. Wait till we get going here. You guys are going to go, wow, those are some strong words in the book of Acts. So Peter is saying, as Christians, we must understand what we believe and why we believe it. Imagine if the church in America today not only knew what we believed, but we could explain and defend why. You ask a lot of people, why are you a Christian? Well, because I believe the Bible. Why do you believe the Bible? Um... It's true? Why is it true? And then a lot of people just stopped right there. Um, You know, let me get back to you on that. Uh, We need to be better at that. So we'll explain how to defend that today. Um, One question we can ask, and I think you know the answer to this, when you see the Barna research, the LifeWay research, the Pew, all the polls about what Christians believe. Professing Christians, I will say, we don't know how many of them are truly converted, but people who say they're Christians believe certain things and less and less are believing that the Bible is true. Seriously, did you hear? Did you hear that? Less fewer and fewer Christians, people that say they're Christians believe that this book is inspired by God and true. That's a problem. That's America. So we have to know how to be able to explain this. Now, um the very first message that was preached by Jesus and John the Baptist was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How much do we hear repentance preached today? I don't know. I don't know if you guys follow other sermons or watch online. I would say about 30% of the ones, you know, teachings that I've heard, and I've traveled around a lot, went to a lot of churches. You hear a lot of series. Let's do a 50-part series on how to be a better person. How to be a better human being? How to get your best life now? How to visualize and be positive? What does God want for you? That's what we hear a lot of series. Here's a series of how to be a Twinkie in a ding-dong world. You know what I mean? I mean, what does that have to do with the gospel? What does that have to do with the word of God? But that's, if you listen to some of these teachings, you're going, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I don't want to be critical here. But is your word being exalted? Is this pointing people to Jesus? Is this equipping the saints And Ephesians chapter 4 talks about our responsibility as pastors, leaders, teachers to equip. What does it say? Equip the saints. Why? For ministry. Not just so they can feel good on a Sunday afternoon by a wonderful message they heard on a Sunday morning. The job of the church, the leaders, is to equip the saints to go out and minister Monday through Saturday, come back Sunday, meet together, be refreshed, strengthened, encouraged in the, by the body of Christ, and then to go out. Wow, have we strayed, huh? So it's not all the responsibility of pastors and teachers, though. What are we doing Monday through Saturday? We've got to be in the Word of God, friends. If it is true, if this is true, let's be in it. Let's get in it. Let's live it. Let's know it. Let's live it. All right, that was, that was free. Um, <laughs> Back to repentance. (laughs) Some people think that repentance is mostly about feeling sorry for your sin. That's part of it. Remorse over sin or feeling sorry. It's good, but repent is an action word. Repentance, it forces an action, a change. Turn from your sin, turn to God. You can't just say, I'm sorry, Lord, and do nothing. No, it requires, the very idea of repentance requires, demands. God's holiness demands a change. Repentance, turn from sin, turn to God. So, I know we don't hear the word as much anymore these days. I'd uh, like to bring that back as something fashionable, but I don't think it will ever come back. But anyway, the call of repentance... Most important, the first word of the gospel. Repent was not only the first word of John the Baptist's gospel. Repent was the first word in Jesus' gospel, Matthew 4, Mark 1. Repent was the first word in the preaching of the 12 disciples, Mark 6. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection, Luke 24. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon by Paul in the book of Acts. Remember, the question was asked, well, brothers, he just heard this, Paul's explanation. They said, well, brothers, what shall we do? First word, Paul says, repent. And then his sermon, Acts chapter 2, 38, repent was the first word in the mouth of the apostle Paul. And, oh, Peter, Peter, and with that word, thank you, with that word, I'm not even, how did you see my notes? (laughs) With that word, they turned the world upside down repent. So people must have been convinced, convicted, they they needed to change their lives, and it starts in the heart, but it requires action. So Paul provides an example of Christian preaching and, and style and substance we'll get to in a minute. In the context of the early church, when speaking to the Jewish community, he stressed deliverance that Christ gives from the broken law of God. Cleansing, forgiveness, um, justification, as opposed to ceremony, tradition, works, good works. Jesus was shown as the messianic deliverer. Jesus was shown as the climax of the Old Testament. That's what it's all pointing to. And they proved it, which we'll get to. When preaching to Gentiles or pagans, um, the emphasis was generally on Christ's deliverance over demonic powers, which at that time in the ancient world was a concern, because they didn't know what, what, what is this dimension here, these people are, you know, oppressed, op- you know, demon-possessed, what is this going on, These demonic powers, so Christ was the deliverer, and a big part of the focus was on the existence of one God, as opposed to idolatry, as opposed to polytheism with a lot of gods, right, So that was a a focus to the Gentiles. Um, By establishing the fact of natural revelation, meaning God as creator and sustainer, early preachers sought to then pave the way for the special revelation of God, Christ, the Son, and Messiah. So let's look at Acts 17 now. Just the first four verses in Acts 17, and then we'll go over to 18 in a few minutes. So the first four verses, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few, which means what? Many. <laughs> Many of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. A lot of people were persuaded. Underline in your Bible these words, reasoning, explaining, demonstrating other translations might have the word proving debating disputing wow those don't sound like pretty lo- very loving you know christian fluffy words do they is this a matter of life and death eternal life is this a matter of life and death yes it's worth arguing over it's worth debating about it's worth Refuting the lies, it's worth, it's, it's worth resisting the lies. Coexist, just coexist. Well, that's a lie, that whole thing, that concept, the bumper sticker. You know it's, it's created against Christianity, right? Why? Jesus says, uh, well, I don't, I don't know about all these other isms and religions, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ooh, oh, did you have to make that so narrow, Jesus? So all the religions can be false, but they can't all be true, can they? If everyone says this is the way, Buddhism, eradication of desire, Hinduism, the many gods, you know, all these different religions point to something else or other things, worldly things, works, things we can do in our own power. Jesus said, believe in me and what I've done, and you'll have eternal life. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Right? One way. It's pretty exclusive. Um, As was his custom, notice it said, when Paul entered a city, the first thing he did, he went into the synagogue, preached Jesus crucified and risen again to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles there. Four things, I want to take away from this in Acts 17, four things. There were several notable aspects to his presentation of Jesus. Number one, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. That would mean the Old Testament. The Greek word translated reasoned is the root for our word in English, dialogue. Wow. That's interesting. So the early church, there was an exchange. There was like a QA. and a There was like, no, this is true. No, why do you think that? Well, no, because of this. And there was this back and forth reasoning from the scriptures. There was this dialogue about those verses, those scriptures in the Old Testament that pointed to Messiah, and Paul proved it was the Christ. He dialogued with them from the scriptures. Number two, Paul did the work of explaining. The word literally means opening, opening up. He explained the Old Testament scriptures. He explained Jesus um, with clarity and simplicity, I might add. Number three, Paul did the work of demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, giving evidence. That's the, I believe the New American Standard says that. The NIV says proving. The idea is of presenting persuasive evidence to listeners. That kind of gives the idea of you're in a court of law and you've got someone, and your advocate, your attorney. You know, it, uh, being persuasive, giving evidence, defending, right. These words, these descriptors, wow, it's just a different idea than what we see in today in America. Because because people are so worried about offending someone else with the truth, but they're worried about offending someone else and seeking the approval of man and instead of God, we don't really get into that. We kind of back off or shut up or they win. If we walk away, we're unable to at least try to convince them, which Paul did. He spent his life doing that. So giving evidence. Proving, persuading. Number four, Paul emphasized in all this who Jesus is. Remember, what verse is that? Um, Three, verse three. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, the Messiah. Whether preaching to Jews or Gentiles, the early Christians emphasized not only what God had done for them through Christ, but what he offers and what he requires so this also comes into play here god offers new life through the holy spirit and requires repentance faith and commitment to the cause commitment to him he established a new kingdom and we are citizens of heaven now we have dual citizenship we're alive in this time we're living on planet Earth. We happen to live in America, most of us. So we are citizens of heaven, but we, are, we have dual citizenship because our true and eternal citizenship is in heaven. So how do you live with that in mind? We've always got to be focused on that while we're living here. In this passage, it's interesting, a great multitude were persuaded, but it's not always that way, as you know. <laughs> as we know from talking to people who want, want nothing to do with God and truth but one example, before we get, we're going to Acts chapter 18 next, but one example I found fascinating uh, that I read recently, Acts 24, 24. Acts 24 were the governor of Judea. Paul would have conversations with him frequently with the governor. And you know how strong Paul was. He convinced almost anyone that had a grasp of the Old Testament, of the, he convinced them. Jesus was the Messiah. So Acts 24, you don't have to turn there, 24 and 25 says, After some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, Paul did, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Wow, think about that. Righteousness. Self-control, judgment to come. Felix was afraid, <laughs> and answered, uh, "Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you again." Interesting. He didn't want to hear it, but it says, and throughout Acts in different places, that Felix would call for Paul frequently, and they have these conversations. But as far as we know, sadly, Felix never came to faith in Christ, never was converted, which is sad. So even the apostle Paul. But I find it fascinating that the things that it mentions here, I'm sure they talked about a whole lot more in all the conversations they had. But it mentions three things that evidently Luke wanted us to know about. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Again, at the risk of being redundant, we don't hear preaching on eternity. There are two destinations. It's heaven and hell. We all live forever two different destinations after we die here. Our spirits live on. There is a judgment to come. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as we read in the beginning, Philippians, every knee will bow, whether they place their faith in Jesus or not, every knee will bow. If they hated God, hated Jesus all this life and die, whenever he does return and people will be raised... And they will live forever. Even unbelievers who refused him and hated God, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That doesn't mean they're going to believe in him. You only get one life. (laughs) After we die, you don't get another chance. So now, meet Apollos. Turn over to Acts chapter 18 and uh, go to verse 24. Acts 18 verse 24. We meet a man who was... Uh, spoken of very highly in Scripture, but who still had some things to learn about doctrine. Interesting, and I think most of us can relate, right? We all have some things to learn about doctrine, so we can be stronger in the faith. <clears throat> but Apollos, it says in verse eighteen—I'm sorry, chapter eighteen, verse twenty-four. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of, baptism of John. Interesting point. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired, desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples there to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Refuted, wow. Showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. We're seeing a theme here, aren't we? They're proving. Both Paul, Apollos, the early Christians proving their new the, the verses that talked about the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, unlike saints of God like Moses, Gideon, and even Paul, Apollos here is referred to as eloquent. I find that to be very interesting. Um, he also describes him as mighty in the scriptures. And you can't find that phrase anywhere else. Now, that says something. I want to talk to Apollos when I get to the other side uh, out of all the many people I want to talk to, right? But mighty in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And he was instructed in the way of the Lord. So Apollos was also fervent in spirit, which literally means boiling over, um, bubbling over with enthusiasm, fervent in spirit, passionate about the things of God. But wait a minute. Now, Aquila and Priscilla heard him preaching and still had to instruct him further, and as it says, quote, more accurately about Jesus. One reason was um, Apollos was preaching John's baptism. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. So he was preaching a baptism of repentance, or a gospel of repentance. Um, So they did something that we need to take note right here. It's very important for the survival of the American church, if it is to survive, and thrive. We're not there yet. I hope we get there, revival or not. Uh, But they helped this brother. It says, um, they explained to him more accurately. What they did was they took a man of God who had a passion for the truth, and they discipled him. They spoke and taught more accurately about Jesus because he had limited knowledge, therefore he was persuading, refuting the Jews still, but he only knew of John's baptism that pointed to the Messiah. But now they explained more fully about Jesus, who he is, what he did. So um, now watch. After that, after Priscilla and Aquila poured into the life of Apollos, after that it says he went to Achaia and greatly helped others in their faith, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos. So he boldly defended the faith, the true gospel, and again, what a great example of the fruit of Priscilla and Aquila and their ministry to pour into and disciple someone that was a, you know, world changer really. Um, turn over now a few pages to chapter twenty. So we're gonna, we just talked a little bit about the importance of discipleship, more teaching, more accurately to help people who have a good grasp of the faith, but yet need to be coached or taught a little bit more, instructed in doctrines. To build that foundation, you'll hear that word again by the by the end of this message about our foundation. Um, so, verse twenty and twenty-one. So, we're in Acts twenty twenty, not the well, we're in the year twenty twenty, right? So, Acts twenty twenty and twenty-one. Um, he explains preaching in public the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God, and this concept that I want you to grasp following up how he went from the synagogue or preaching in public from house to house to the houses and met with people. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So here in Acts 20, we get a unique picture of Paul, the pastor, the shepherd. Um, It was important to him as a leader and a shepherd of God's people to follow up, not just preach and refute and convince out in public or at the synagogue. Then he went to their homes. So now let's, let's just dig in a little deeper. And I think that's what we need to get back to also as the church in America. And that's a big task, friends. It really is. But it's so important. We need that fellowship, don't we? We need that strengthening. Um, So a couple words that are used to describe the, the teaching and preaching of Paul and the early Christians include heralds and debaters. To herald, to proclaim a message, right? Herald, preach, debate, though. Wow, that's interesting that they use that word in the context of they went in and they debated. They argued. They made a defense, 1 Peter 3:15. A defense of the gospel. Uh, we always comes back to that we're always, we need to be ready to give a defense. They argued from the scriptures. They didn't argue some philosophical idea. They argued from the truth, from the truth of the Old Testament at that time. We have the full New Testament and Old Testament. They argued from the scriptures. And the evidence, they were eyewitnesses, many of them. So they had a lot. They had this foundation that man could not be shaken. So there's one important factor that that should be stressed here, though. They were transformed. Their lives were radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. So that means their personal lives, their social lives, their habits, their activities. Remember, turn from sin and wickedness, repent means to change, it's an action word, turn to God to pursue righteousness, turn from and turn to repentance. So the word of God gives us everything we need, and it is perfect. I uh, The f- earlier service today, we were talking about Psalm 119. I just want to briefly mention, if you want to know what God believes about his own word, about the truth, Read Psalm 119. 176 verses. His, his word, His ordinances, the truth, what God thinks about His own word, the perfection, the beauty. And go to Psalm 119 when you have a chance. But I want to turn over now to Second uh, Timothy three. You' many of you are familiar with this. Second uh, Timothy 3:16 but I like to read it sandwiched here in context between verses 15 and 17. Um, It says, talks about the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that why that the man or woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work the word of God the reason for this encouragement that all scriptures out of the mouth of God God breathed inspired it's given that we may be complete thoroughly equipped for ministry Ephesians 4 Pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for ministry to go out. And so it's interesting. We're learning a lot, being reminded that the church is supposed to be active in culture, active in our communities, active in politics, active in government, active in the entertainment industry, which has been given over to Satan. But that's because Christians said, no, it's of the devil. I mean, they said that from the beginning, TV, radio, entertainment. I don't want to get involved in that. I understand where they were coming from, but to back out of culture says, you know, just let those people go to hell. I mean, that's not for me. Ooh, we are to infiltrate and be salt and light. And at this point, though, I want to parenthetically insert that there are a lot of institutions that are gone, lost causes, beyond redemption. Hollywood, the entertainment yeah, the anti-ministry um, public education. I come from a family of teachers, my parents, my sisters, my uncle, but the system is beyond redemption. It is antichrist. It isn't the antichrist, it is anti-Christian hostility, nothing but any ABC, anything but Christ. Um, not to say that there aren't individuals that need to hear the gospel, that need to be saved. There are some Christian che- teachers I know of some, but they're frustrated. Their hands are tied. Well, I should say their mouth. (laughs) They can do the work, hand out, teach whatever the NEA, the godless National Education Association, hands down to them. They have to teach it, and they can maybe hold some things back, but you know what they're teaching now under the guise of health? Gender and, and sexual promiscuity, experimentation. You can be whatever you want. So abandon God and the truth and now it, moral relativism reigns and anything goes. So all that to say there are individuals that need to be saved, they need to hear the gospel, but the systems are gone, and Christians better really be understanding of what's happening spiritually in this nation with every major institution, corporations going the way of the world. This is, this is just the America that we live in now, the world that we live in. But I want to go back to just a few words here that we don't hear very much about, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, particularly verse 16, to reprove. Wow. Uh, you know what that means? Criticize. Refute. Or disapprove of. Wow. Now it's talking to Christians, not the world. The world needs to hear the gospel. The world needs to hear the truth about Jesus as the Messiah and they need to be saved. For Christians in the church Christians need correction. We don't all have it right. We don't have all the answers. We don't do everything right by the book, Bible. So there does need to be church discipline. There needs to be correction. But, um, oh, here's another word, Um, correct. I just said correction. It means to point out, mark, or remove errors or faults from. Wow. Wow. How do you do that if you can't say anything? If you can't make a judgment? Hey, brother, um, I'm not sure what you're doing right now is, is that lines up with the Bible, what the Bible teaches. Man, I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I don't want people to look at you like uh, you say you're a Christian, but you're living like this or believing that thing. People don't like to be corrected. They don't like to have air. We don't like to have errors pointed out, do we? Part of that's pride, you know, and that's just human nature. But what does this say in Scripture? The Scriptures are given by the inspiration of God, and they're profitable for reproof, correction, training, in righteousness. And that idea, instruction or training in righteousness, is like an Olympic athlete. You know how hard they work? An Olympic athlete, how many hours of practice and practice and practice and training? That's the idea here. Wow. So as Christians, we have to put that much effort into this? Well, yeah. (laughs) And most of us don't. Um, It's hard. It's hard. But that's what the Bible says. So let's move on here. How often have we heard these words used today in the church? Really? Reproof? (laughs) Correction? Wow. So... I already mentioned that in verse 15. Just one one note to mention where it says the Old Testament is able, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Old Testament, at the time, that's what they had. So when it says scriptures, it means the Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation, understanding that we need a Savior and that there is a Messiah. That's what the Old Testament does. And some people minimize the Old Testament today. I've heard it from pulpits. Shame on them. Any teacher that says, you don't have to focus as much on the Old Testament. I mean, what good can Leviticus do? I know it's a little dry. I know it's about all the laws and all the impossible demands that a holy God gave his people. They couldn't sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Because they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't meet those standards. That's why God sent the Messiah. God sent Jesus because we couldn't do it. And then we don't need a sacrifice anymore because why? He says it is finished. The work is finished. I did it on the cross. I am the perfect sacrifice. But so the old scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. All scripture, one more time to emphasize these two words, this tells us, those two words Tell us how much of the Bible is inspired or perfect. All Scripture. All means all. Again, I point to Psalm 119, which I mentioned earlier. Psalm 119. Read it, please, when you get a chance. Mark it up. Mark it up. It's a great psalm. So I think part of the message here, what we're getting from Acts and how they did it, we have different things now in America, right? I mean, as far as conveniences and modern technology and everything, but there are some principles of preaching and teaching and reaching people and pre- getting the gospel out and uh, proving from the scriptures Jesus is the Christ. So Those are the evidence. Just think about the evidence that we have. Have you guys seen the, either the movie or read the book, The Case for Christ? Phenomenal. Evidence demands a verdict, right? There's enough evidence. I mean, not only the of course the eyewitnesses, you have the fulfilled prophecy hundreds, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And then what else do we have today? Cuz we weren't eyewitnesses, but every time archaeology, we forget about that. <laughs> you know it's like an atheist kind of, you know, shakes his head every time a new dig is found over there in the Middle East or somewhere that digs up something that either confirms what is written in the Bible, either a person that lived, a town that existed, or events that happened by digging up some sort of writing somewhere, it confirms the truth and the, not only the historical accuracy of this book, but its perfection and the reliability of the scriptures. So we have so much. Um, let me get back to this idea of the foundation, though. This is one reason why context is important. When you read the Bible, there's an underlying presumption that we know this. In the New Testament, Paul writes a lot. By this time, you should be teachers, he says, or whoever wrote Hebrews. Um, By this time, you should be teachers by now. If you've been in the faith any length of time, have you taught a Bible study? Why not? That's a scary thing to teach. doesn't mean you have to know it all. Just open the book and read. Go through it, read, talk about it. Um, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 I'm just going to read this to you really quick it's very interesting it says therefore so again there's this presumption of knowledge and Christian maturity therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ so already we have an idea that they want you to move on from something and there are elementary principles basic, the basics Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. One of the basics, essentials. It says, this is an elementary principle of the faith. Everyone should have that down. Should be able to talk about that. Boom. Boom. There will be a judgment. There is a judgment to come, the day of the Lord. There is going to be accountability. We will all have to stand before God, and that's eternal judgment. We will, we won't be judged because we are forgiven, justified, declared righteous in Christ. But there is going to be a judgment, and unbelievers have to answer for rejecting the Savior of the world. So eternal judgment. Interesting. Um, elementary principles, though I found that fascinating. So Hebrews six one and two. They don't, he's, now he said, I think a couple verses later, okay, if we have to, we'll go back through these things, Paul said, or whoever wrote Hebrews. <laughs> so the Bible will do its spiritual work in us, but we have to get in it first. It will do, it's perfect. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It will do its work in us if we get in it. Um, we have to let it, allow it to work quality time has to be invested. Uh, with all that's going on in the world today, and I just don't mean in 2020, and the political divide that kicked off this year, and the wonderful coronavirus, and now the riots and protests, that's enough, and, and the, the news, and the so, so, social media, and all the distractions. Everything that's going on, I mean, it's easy to be overwhelmed. That's not a good reaction. And it's also easy to stick your head in the sand or to go into hiding. As Christians who are to influence the world and share the gospel, if we care about the souls of other people, that's not a good reaction either. So in order to renew our minds, how do we do that? We have to be in his word. We have to have this book and have it be able to bring to mind verses that are in our heart. Thy word I have hidden in my heart. So the Bible can do its work, but we have to do some of the work ourselves to get that in us to invest. Um, So why does God still have us here? We're going to wrap up in about five minutes. To shine the light of the gospel of Christ on such a dark world and such a dark culture we have now. Imagine uh, when Christians are taken out of this world. Imagine the rapture. You don't even know darkness. Until you've removed all the light, Jesus said, "You are the light of the world." You take Christians out of this world at the rapture when we go to be with Jesus. It's going to be pretty darn (laughs) dark. So that's why we're here: shine the light of Christ. Also, to be the preserving salt this country and culture needed. Did you know in the early days the Roman soldiers? uh, There was a time when they were paid in salt. Salt was very valuable. There were some that even put uh, newborn babies in salt to, to, I guess, to avoid germs and infections. Salt was very, not just a flavor in the food, this was valuable. You know where the expression came from? That guy's not worth his salt because salt was a form of money that they exchanged. They paid Roman soldiers, here's your salt for the week. And it's not just this portion to eat. It was like, okay, wow, this is great. They went and traded it and bought things with salt. So when it says Christians are the salt of the earth, what does that mean? Are we salt here in America, in our culture? Are we valuable to our culture? We <sighs> think we could do a whole message on that. And I don't think it would have a good outcome. Not to say that we don't have a valuable message and our Savior is not worth preaching. And it doesn't, doesn't mean to say we aren't, not, we aren't to influence our country for Christ, but I'm not sure that salt is really making a difference like it really could. Um, so we're called to stand on the word of God. And oh, by the way, there's a concept. I think it's in Matthew. Don't quote me on that, though. About Storming the gates of hell. Remember that expression? Think about that. As Christians, what do we do? Ah, I don't want don't to offend. So we're backing out of culture. That's why we gave over. You know, it says God gave them over in Romans chapter 1 to a depraved mind. Well, look at the education system. Look at Hollywood, entertainment. Look at corporations. Look at almost anything else in our culture. We kind of backed out, and here we are today. It's an uphill climb, friends. We cannot do this without prayer, and we can't do it without one another either. That's why I'm so glad to be back meeting today, and I shared this at, at the early service today. Outside, we were talking about this too, how it's going to be a lot of effort on the church's part to get back to where we need to be, but we can't go into rewind, and we can't kick ourselves too much, you know, kick your own, kick your own butt. No, by the way, here's this. Think about this picture. This idea of storming the gates of hell, and, and this is free, a little add on. Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare, the fiery darts of the evil one, right? I, I, I get this idea that sometimes Christians would rather run away. When you run away, the fiery darts, where are they going to go? I mean, you got the armor of God, you got the helmet, you got the, the breastplate of righteousness, you got you know, the, the belt of truth, you got the shield. A faith? What about your backside? In Isaiah, it says God is your rear guard, okay, to answer that. But I think about this spiritually, us running away from the battle, and then all these darts, boom, 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 you know, just hitting us in the back. It's not supposed to be that way. What does this say? Or what does the gospel say? We are to storm the gates of hell. What does that look like? It seems like we're always playing defense. Gates are not offensive, gates are defensive. They're for protection for a wall, a house, a property, a border, gates. So the idea in scripture and what we've just read about how they proclaim, how they attack the word of God and how they preach it and refute and debate and argue from the scriptures and prove Jesus is the Messiah. We are attacking, we are on offense storming the gates of hell. So the gates of hell are going, oh man, they they keep praying. They keep sharing the gospel. They keep using the name of Jesus, the name above every name. So the gates of hell are like shaking. But I think most of you would admit that that's not the way our world looks, at least not in America. But that's the idea that we get from Scripture, isn't it? So the aim of the early church preachers was to make crystal clear the unique saving work of the divine, crucified, resurrected Jesus, the Messiah, who was both the Lord they served and the message they proclaimed. For all of us here today, and you guys listening online, watching, Jesus is the Lord we serve and the message, the truth that we proclaim. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, if you remember one of the main points, it's about reinforcing our foundation. If you, you heard some of this and go, wow, yeah, I guess I should know that. Don't kick yourself. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Okay, there is grace here. But this is maybe a reminder. My effort to strongly encourage you to get back into the Word of God, this should be our lifeline, friends. How do you live in this world without the truth and without getting that in you. So this is what we need to get back to and then live it and never be ashamed of the gospel. Unashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. Why? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. People can't be saved if they don't hear the gospel. If we we don't share it or speak it, we expect them to... Come across the Bible somewhere? No, it's up to us. So I want to close with, we read 2 Timothy 3.16 earlier. I want to read 1 Timothy 3.16 and close with this. It says, these concepts again, you'll find just familiar. Um, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. John chapter 1, the word became flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Jesus is Lord. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return to rule and reign. So in the meantime, friends, thank God we have the Holy Spirit. We are not left without help, without power, without hope but I know a lot of people are feeling hopeless today. A lot of people are dealing with this virus. They're dealing with with the political divide, even the divide in the church, which is very sad. But I believe the sheep are gonna be separated from the goats in the body of Christ through this. This is one of those things that's gonna refine us. I believe that this can make us stronger. I believe it's gonna test our faith and kinda see who we are in the body of Christ. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, I don't like the divisions and debates, but is the truth worth it? Yes. And is what Jesus did for us worth it? Yes, to live for him and to deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with in this world. We have everything we need, and I want to share a quote with you. I don't remember who this was attributed to, but I really like it. It says, The last days are upon us. You didn't ask to be born when you were God chose you to be alive right now. With that choosing comes all the grace you need to stand and be a hero of the faith in these awesome days. Embrace the tremendous privilege that is yours. End quote. As ambassadors of Christ, always be ready to make a defense, to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ because God knows, look out at our culture and our country. People need hope. The suicide rate is skyrocketing. I believe I heard this statistic. There's a 600% increase in calls to suicide helplines and other helplines. People are looking. Let's give them what they need that can benefit them eternally. Give them the, the truth of the gospel, the hope in Christ. That's what they need to be pointed to. So let's close in prayer. Father, We thank you for your word. We pray that you'd just remind us of what we shared today from from Acts and from the early church, from Paul, from Apollos, from the disciples, these men of God that really, really stood up and spoke the truth but also convinced people with the evidence of the scriptures that Jesus, you are the Messiah. Help us to be better at explaining and proclaiming the truth, and sometimes debating, but Lord, help us always do so with respect and for love for those who we are speaking to and give us the grace and the strength we need one day at a time. We thank you for providing all things for us. And we, I lift up each person here today, whatever they're dealing with, whether it's a discouragement or maybe a victory, something good in their lives. Lord, I pray that you continue to walk with them, guide them in Jesus' name, protect them in Jesus' name, and provide for all their needs. And uh, continue to use us, Lord, grow us up one day at a time. Help us to mature and help us to be the light that we could be in this culture. Help us to be the salt, the preserving, valuable influence that the church is to be, Lord. Help us not be discouraged, but to know that you hold the future in your hands. And we trust you and recommit to you and surrender to you all things.